Welcome to A Life in Biography. You can call today's episode Biography by the Day. Going to, I'm going to say a little bit about a new book of mine, William Faulkner Day by Day, published by University Press of Mississippi. It's uh, just out uh, in hardcover and also in ebook. The book has an epigraph. Uh, this is from Tom Stoppard's play, Shipwreck. Nature doesn't disdain what lives only for a day. It pours the whole of itself into each moment. I was really struck by that, uh, coming across that, when I was reading, actually, a biography of uh, Tom Stoppard by Hermione Lee. And the notion of doing justice to every day, which, of course, is an impossible task for biographers. No matter how much you put into a biography, even if, as I did, you write a two-volume biography of William Faulkner, you leave things out. And part of what you leave out is, you know, the very experience of life, of living day by day. How to capture that. Um, that's what I tried to do in this day-by-day book. I want to read you the introduction, uh, which is short, won't take very long, to give you some reason, some sense of why I did this book after doing a two-volume biography of Faulkner. Introduction. To never deviate from chronology in a biography, I wrote in The Life of William Faulkner, is to say that a life is just one damn thing after another. Flashbacks, flash-forwards, and digressions are necessary in biography as much as they are in Faulkner's fiction in order to understand the dynamics of characters and events. And yet biographical narratives, because they are designed as stories, inevitably discard many precious details and the feel of what it is like to live day by day. So this book is an effort to recover the diurnal Faulkner, to write in the present tense about past events as if they are happening now. And where there are still gaps, where I cannot account for certain days, perhaps other researchers will come along to fill some of those voids, prodded by what I have included or overlooked. This work builds on Michel Grisset's A Faulkner Chronology, but his work is concerned with the main events in the writer's life, I'm quoting him, whereas I am concerned with the whole man, including every detail I can recover. The modernist prejudice against biography, against looking at every aspect of a writer's life, has to be countered by John Keats's declaration. Does Shelley go on telling strange stories of the death of kings? Tell him there are strange stories of the death of poets. And before Keats, Samuel Johnson. The heroes of literary as well as civil history have been very often no less remarkable for what they have suffered than for what they have achieved. So my approach is inspired by Jay Leda's Melville Log that bedrock of Melville biography. Leda wanted to establish a groundwork for the biographies yet to come. 
Although Faulkner has many biographers, there is no reason to suppose that others will not appear in this and the next millennium so long as this world and its literature survives. For each entry, this is I'm telling readers who can read this book on the page, for each entry, except for the obvious facts, I have noted in curly brackets the source for the entry. In many cases, entries have or could have multiple sources, primary and secondary. I have not tried to trace all of the sources for each entry. The entries are extracts, not the whole document, letter, or incident. Extracts, some of which do appear in my Faulkner biography, in different contexts. Um, I've uh, also... uh, Well, I have one more paragraph I'll tell you before I go on to comment. This book is for Faulkner readers of all kinds, with a wide variety of interests in the man and his work. The entries are suitable for dipping into and can be read in a minute or an hour, by the bedside or propped against another book or other suitable support during a meal. It is difficult to read several Faulkner biographies side by side, but this book, by ranging over several sources, stimulates several points of comparison between biographies and other sources. What holds true for another book of mine, Marilyn Monroe Day by Day, also holds true for this one. It is for anyone who delights in savoring all aspects of becoming and being a self. One of the chief virtues of these books is is that they do not force their subjects to conform to any one biographical narrative. Reading about Faulkner day by day yields many different Faulkners and perhaps suggests new angles and perspectives. Uh, What you're doing in a way is, because I use both primary and secondary sources in this book, uh, you're getting at the, the raw data and the raw data as reported in those secondary sources too. And in a way, you're making up your own biography of the subject. I thought I would just read a few sample entries from day by day. I'm doing the same thing, by the way, for Sylvia Plath, who was very assiduous in recording the days of her life, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing it in two volumes. There's just too much to pack into one volume because of her diaries, her journals, her letters, uh, notebooks, and so on. I've decided here, the the, uh, extracts I'm going to read from day by day, to focus on the last year uh, of Faulkner's life. Um, I'm reading here entries from December 1961. And of course, he doesn't know that he has less than a year to live. December 18th. 18th, this is 1961. Suffering from a painful back and bad cold, treated with more bourbon, admitted to the University of Virginia Hospital, receives an injection of gamma globulin to protect from hepatitis his daughter Jill had contracted. That's December 18th. December 20th, 10.30 a.m., released from hospital in a state of exhaustion. December 24th, four days later. 
relapses admitted to Tucker Neurological and Psychiatric Hospital in Richmond. Vital signs are good, but much pain in the lower back. Treated with mild sedation and cold medication, diet, and rest. December 29th, five days later, released from hospital, takes the 545 bus to Charlottesville, is where he was writer in residence. So that's the end of 1961. 1962, January 1st, declares himself recovered. Two days later, January 3rd, injures left eye and forehead and fall from a horse in Charlottesville. This is a pattern that keeps repeating itself. Um, sometimes very swift recovery, and then injury or sickness almost immediately. So he injures his left eye and forehead and fall from horse in Charlottesville. The next day, January 4th, treated with Demerol for back pain and told not to ride horses. January 6th, two days later, coughing spells and chest pain, drinking again. Often, he self-medicated with alcohol. That's January 6th. Two days later, January 8th, readmitted to Tucker Neurological and Psychiatric Hospital in Richmond. Dr. Aza Shields report, electrocardiogram normal, heart not enlarged. Faulkner tells Dr. Shield, I'm going to stop being a damn fool and acting like a 45-year-old and start living as a 65-year-old and perhaps live to be 85 years old. That's January 8th. January 10th, running a fever with chest pain and contracts pleurisy, given penicillin and streptomycin every eight hours. January 12th, two days later, weak but free of fever. January 15th, three days later, released from hospital. January 20th, he's in Oxford, obtains a new hunting and fishing license, purchases two hunting dogs for $500. Okay, that's where we're at the end of January 1962. There are a whole bunch of entries that tell you what Faulkner is doing between January of 1962 and June of 1962. In other words, now we're five and a half months or so later. June 15th. Phil Stone reports to James B. Merriweather. Phil Stone was an old friend and mentor of Faulkner's. James B. Merriweather was a Faulkner scholar who actually did some work uh, with Faulkner on the Snopes trilogy. So, so Stone is writing to James B. Merriweather and says, Bill got thrown by another horse and is having trouble with his back again. I told him he was going to break his neck one of these days. Well, you could start putting things together, if you remember, when Faulkner says he's going to start acting like a 65-year-old. Well, look at the result. June 17th, this is two days after Phil Stone's report, 
Injured from in fall from horse and oxer. He seems to have fallen again. Uh, he often did that sort of thing. Uh, oh, well, I could comment on it, but I'm not going to. You, that's in the biography. June 19th, two days after the injury from the falling off the horse. June 19th, Faulkner rejects Dr. McLarty's advice to go to the Campbell Clinic in Memphis for treatment of his back. June 24th, five days later, Dr. McLarty, McLarty observes a pale Faulkner at the post office. Faulkner again rejects advice to check into the Campbell Clinic. Now I'm skipping ahead to July, July 3rd, 1962. He mails a copy of The Reavers. He's just published this novel, which turns out to be his last novel, though he doesn't know that. To Elsie Johnson, the woman he was involved with, who he first met in Sweden in 1950 when he was getting his Nobel Prize. So he sends her a copy of The Reavers. He complains to Mac Reed, that's a local druggist who was a great friend of Faulkner's, complains to Mac Reed about his painful back. Then I have, uh, well, I'll go ahead and read. After July 3rd, same day, 830, out to dinner with Estelle, that's his wife, at the mansion, a restaurant in Oxford. Faulkner tells Estelle his food does not taste right. July 4th, drinking and taking prescription painkillers for acute back pain. Estelle considers taking Faulkner to Wright's Sanatorium in Bihalia, Mississippi. July 5th, 6 p.m., admitted to Wright's Sanitarium. From 6 o'clock in the evening till 10.45, He's given vitamin injections with half an ounce of alcohol every hour. This was the kind of treatment uh, he often got at this sanitarium. 10 p.m., two egg flips and anti-nausea medication are administered. July 6th, 1.30 a.m., groans, sits up on the side of his bed, and falls over dead. 45-minute heart massage and mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation produces no effect. 2 a.m. Estelle receives a call about her husband's death. Estelle Faulkner telegram to Dorothy Cummins. This was the wife of Faulkner's deceased editor, Sax Cummins. Estelle's telegram. Bill died, heart attack, Services Saturday afternoon, the next day, July 7th, buried in St. Peter's Cemetery, Oxford. What I like about the day-by-day -day books is the starkness of it, of just the facts, uh, with very little interpretation. Occasionally there's a footnote in Faulkner Day-by-Day -Day to explain certain circumstances that may not be apparent to the reader from the entry itself. But for the, for the most part, I try to keep my own voice, the narrator's voice, the biographer's voice out of it, and let you think about 
what it was like for my subject to live day by day, sometimes supplying his own commentary, uh, but often uh, observed by others, uh, accounts which um, are just there for you to ponder and evidence to coordinate in whatever way you like. Thanks for listening.